everybody. Jeff Salzman here, and thank you for listening to The Daily Evolver. I'm here this morning with my buddy and guru in all things integral, Steve McIntosh. Hey, Steve. Hi, Jeff. Pleasure to be with you. Good to have you. Uh, You may know Steve as one of our leading integral thinkers and writers, and your latest book is The Presence of the Infinite, which I highly recommend. But Steve is also the founder and president of the Institute for Cultural Evolution, which is a think tank working on bringing integral solutions to the big, gnarly problems of our time. And to that end, Steve and the Institute have released a paper on just such a gnarly problem, political polarization. And the paper's titled, what is it, Steve? It's called uh, Overcoming Polarization by Evolving Both Right and Left. Cool. All right. So I want to get to a bunch of things, including how your thesis helps us understand this crazy political season that we're in in America. Right. Which is so interesting. Politics have people's attention. It's true. Yeah, Yeah, it's right. Uh, But first, you know, at Integral, our claim is that we can see more and and bring more to the party, take more into account. So what do you think an Integral view brings to this wicked problem of political polarization? Well, a huge part of our political dysfunction as a country is resulted from cultural evolution. The emergence of postmodernism or green sort of broke the agreement container for good, I think, you know, all, yeah. all, as well as creating chaos and, and polarization and, and confusion. And before 1960 or so, the green didn't exist as a cultural force. Right. So after World War II, there held until about 1968 what's known in political science as the liberal consensus. And though it wasn't always completely liberal with Republicans holding office much of the time, it still was a uh, an agreement between the factions of society that uh, uh, wherein the government was not polarized and, and a lot of important uh, achievements and progress was made during that period. But then Green came along and, and broke the liberal consensus. And so now the integral project is to uh, not try to glue the thesis and antithesis back together. You know, we're not striving for centrism. And as a matter of fact, in some ways, as I'll explain, an integral approach to politics is sort of the opposite of centrism. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Even though maybe achieving some of the same goals that centrists hope you know, mm-hmm. to achieve by. Yeah, because when you think of overcoming po- polarization, it's like, don't both sides have to move towards the middle? Well, that's the default Not necessarily. thinking. Right. If you're a modernist, right, if you can't see the emergence of green as a world historical factor in, you know, the the evolution of America's democracy and elsewhere in the world. And if you don't understand uh, the dialectical relationships between modernity and the previous traditional worldview, that's still 30% of the American population and, uh, and, and postmodernism, which is continuing to grow and and gain political ground uh, even while in other ways it remains politically impotent. So these dynamic factors in culture, right, are underlying our political dysfunction and so what integral can, an integral perspective can bring to the situation is a view of culture, which is more uh, deep, more robust. I like to talk about it in um, geological terms. You know, in other words, so what we can see is, is, is the bedrock of values that's underneath the landscape. And not only can we see the bedrock of, of where, you know, these sort of the values that build political will reside, but we can also see it 
sort of uh, as as sort of geologically moving, right? We can see the mountain ranges being uplifted and the valleys being carved. We can see evolution in action as it affects the cultural landscape. And we claim, or you know, the the the, the tantalizing opportunity it seems is that the integral perspective and integral philosophy has a significant contribution to make to political science and political philosophy. Yeah. And so um, that's one of the things that makes me get up in the morning is, yeah. is try to, uh, in, you know, advance uh, the impact of, of integral philosophy on the very dire problems that we face uh, at this time in history. So how do you see the lay of the land that you just described, how it's moving and changing and what the bedrock, what you said, the values that create well, the political will. Yeah, this analogy of bedrock, um, part of it involves where people get their identity, you know, what they identify with and how they define themselves politically. Um, you know, there are different- and These are deep. These are kind of hardwired. Right. Yeah. Right. So part of the way that we're trying to get, increase our understanding of, of culture and see it more clearly, of course, we start with the stage model, that's really a foundation of the integral perspective, right? This recognition of the, the traditional, the modernist, the postmodern, and then the post-postmodern or integral stages that, uh, well, there are more stages than that. Those are the sort of the dominant stages within America's... And we're talking stages of development. Stages of development. They're yeah. worldviews, and they cohere as systems. And what makes these worldviews uh, empirical is that they define people's identity. They define what's, what's beautiful, true, and good for them. Right? So what makes a traditional worldview real and not just an arbitrary division of culture is that the people who are uh, within a traditional worldview, scripture of one kind or another is the primary definition of what's true. Right, and, and that's an empirical thing. I mean, you can ask people: Do you know? Do you? If science trumps the Bible, which has got to be, which has got to win? If you're a modernist, you say science. If you're a traditionalist, you say the Bible. Or yeah. again, you know, that's and in American politics, our hard right that you're describing here, the the two sets of scriptures are the Bible mm -hmm. and the, the Constitution, <laughs> and they both them, hold them both as sacred. Right, right. Yeah. The Constitution sort of has a scripture-like quality. Yeah. Now. The, the, the discussion we're about to have where we unpack this paper, Overcoming uh, Polarization by Evolving Both Left and Right, the listeners have to have some familiarity or some previous exposure to integral concepts uh, because if we were to introduce every concept sufficiently for somebody who'd never heard of them before, we'd be here for several hours, right? right. So, so we're going to have to kind of go fast. And so what I'm trying to do in this paper and in general in the work of ICE is expand our understanding of culture by overlaying our understanding of the spiral of development with a kind of a transparency that adds nuance and that that's more to it. it you know, it, it, it integrates well, but it's not simply that. And this is this concept of um, permanent polarities, right? Polarity theory is kind of a new addition to uh, integral philosophy, although it fits perfectly with our previous understandings of dialectical development. There's some new features to this kind of new understanding of polarities and, um, I talk about those in terms of their cosmic and spiritual dimensions in the presence of the infinite book, but even bracketing any kind of spiritual or cosmic implications of these polarities, we can see them functioning. Interdependent polarities uh, that are that are can be at least positive, positive that act as uh, systems of development. They're procreative. So just a quick hmm. pr primer on polarity like theory. Yeah, they're procreative. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean it. it the, the, the polarity of, of masculine and feminine, 
right, in terms of uh, people's uh, gender identities. And also the, the biology of male and female are clearly procreative. These, yes. these, um, these, these, it's a positive, positive polarity where there's a recursive, uh, ideally a recursive exchange between the two, where the relationship in a, in a positive, positive polarity ideally involves both challenge and support. Right. So if, if we if we the world is, is full of polarities, of course, some are positive, negative, right, like good and bad or, or um, prosperity and poverty. When you have a positive, negative polarity, that presents a problem to be solved. But there are other kinds of polarities that are positive, positive, where both sides need each other. There's something about values and things that create value that that cause these values to sort of cohere in polar sets whereby the value creation of one is ultimately tied into a complementary but challenging value-creating function of another. So beyond male and female, we could also point to competition and cooperation, right? These are like two legs. You kind of need both, right? Cooperation without any kind of competition, um, it leads to pathology. And likewise, competition without any cooperation. But when you engage the two as a dynamic, recursive system, these these kind of polarities can be understood as it's almost like a morphic field or as a naturally occurring niches in an ecosystem. So in politics, we find that um, the polarity of left and right, which almost all commentators uh, say is too uh, is too coarse. You know, it's too crude. I mean, that thinking about left and right only works if you're containing uh, your analysis to modernity. Right, which is kind of split down the middle between left and right, a little bit more left than right, but it's still uh, strong. Um, but going beyond this kind of crude polarity of left and right, uh, which even though it doesn't accurately describe our current political landscape, it's still historically ingrained in our two-party system, which is hard to break out of. And it's also uh, imposed by the media in every uh, news cycle, right? Left and right is how the media forces us to to at least understand things superficially, right? right? Applying the insights of polarity philosophy or polarity theory to the current situation shows us that this this polarity of left and right, or we might call conservative and innovative, or you know, prudential and innovative. There's there's no two words that make it stand still. You know, conservatives have an innovative element. Right. Progressives have a conservative element. A way to think about the, this polarity of left and right is fractally or self-similarly. It is not only a, it, a, does it cohere across the levels, but it also exists within each level. Right. So there's a left and right of the right and a left and right of the left. And even within those factions, you know, the left of the left, you can still see it. So that the kind of the polarity keeps reappearing at different scales. And seeing it as a, a positive system that can be worked with is one of the breakthroughs, hmm. I argue, that comes from a, a, a polarity understanding of, you know, uh, it's not like we want to force fit or stereotype all political activity into these pre-existing categories. But what we're trying to get at is the values, the, the underlying, the values that underlie the candidates, the values that underlie the issues, the things that are where where the roots of political will and political identity mm -hmm. uh, are, are. The values that would make you go left or right, one way or the other. Right, and the values that might make you lay down your life for your country yes. or, or choose a career path that self-sacrifices for some greater good. I mean, you know, this is, these right. values are serious. Well, let's take a look. What are some of these values? Right. Well, on on the right, um, it, it, 
modernist commentators, normal mainstream pundits have identified uh, both social conservatives and fiscal conservatives, right? And 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 that's a basic, you know, right. crude understanding that on the right there's two kinds of right, and while there's lots of overlap, it's not a diametrically opposed polarity, but. Uh, the, the fiscal conservatives and social conservatives often disagree about the proper role of government, right? And and so this polarity, understanding the polarity starting with the right as, in a sense, representing value complexes, right? There's a, a complex of values that are the right of the right and a complex of values that are the left of the right, if you follow uh-huh, this, sure. right? Um, and the, each one of these value complexes has very positive values, which we're carrying forward and, and, and which we need, and shadow sides or negative consequences of those values. You know, and here polarity theory becomes the the transparency, the overlay as we're talking about, also shows the spiral. So if we're talking about social conservatives, that overlays uh, the traditional worldview, right? While not all social conservatives are traditionalists, many of them are modernists, there's still a value complex there. And that value complex includes uh, a sense of patriotism for America, um, uh, sort of a, a sense of, of wanting to promote uh, the Judeo-Christian, you know, kind of heritage and the focusing on the family. Uh, there, there's a whole uh, bunch of values that what I characterize in the paper as the heritage value complex, right? Hmm. So it, it, it's not just traditional values or, or amber values or blue values. It's it's um, it, it's this complex of values which uh, is in the uh, the the structures of consciousness which make up the American body politic, right? And uh, the the values of the heritage complex have both positive values that we need and negative values such as right bigotry, racism, sexism, uh, oppressive authoritarianism. There's lots of scary negatives mm-hmm. that go with or attach to or are the flip side of the positive values of the heritage value complex, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you, the the upside is you love America. The the downside is that you um, sort of privilege America or uh, see America as um, something completely exceptional, which of course it is. Well, but you can also it's also a bit ethnocentric, I right, guess. Right within those agreement structures, you can also stand in the way of the evolution of morality. Right, as morality involves to include more people, right, to include people of different races and different sexes yes. and and different uh, gender orientations or you know sexual orientations, people who who are in this heritage values complex often find themselves resisting that. Yes, and and from perspective of uh, post postmodern and postmodern, that looks very ugly, right? That's the thing that's most visible is the downside of the heritage value complex, yes. right? So it's natural in a sense that we want to reject that or see it as. Uh, uh, you know, kind of proto-fascism that we have to crush, right? Because those negative values are something that, that we need to prune away or, or or discard, you know, or try to get away from. But the, the task of, of pruning away, you know, uh, t- t- separating the dignities that we need from the disasters that we can do without, that's a very important task that, that can't be done uh, in, in a, without a relational container of challenge and support, right? In other words, in, in order to really critique someone and help them carry forward their best values while at the same time trying to uh, argue against, you know, their negative values, ideally there there's a higher purpose or some common goal 
right, that by which people are bound that creates a racial, relational container in which that kind of discussion can take place, right? And during the liberal consensus, as we spoke of, there was a time when the left and the right could moderate each other, where they listened yeah. to each other and they were responsive to each other, right? But now that's fallen apart. And the left and the right largely just despise each other or see each other only for their negatives. And so this this role of this polar systemic operation of challenge and support, um, we can we can try to regain that or bring that back online by creating this polar challenge and support systemic relationship starting on the right among the basic value polarity on the right, doing it on the left so that as we evolve both the right and the left, will eventually create a container that can be a generative polarity. And the reason why this is important, just kind of pulling back a little bit, is that we started the Institute for Cultural Evolution because we felt a duty. We felt compelled to try to make a political difference in building support to combat global warming, right? Global warming, climate change was, we really, you know, since, for, you know, as long as I can remember, this has been my personal main concern. And so we started working in 2012 on uh, dealing with the culture war issues that we saw as preventing the formation of adequate political will to deal with climate change. And this led us in 2013 and 2014 to see that kind of the underlying problem on climate change, and one that we could sort of uh, get traction or purchase on the culture war issues, was the issue of political polarization itself, right? So we had, we wrote papers, we had conclaves, we try to influence the influencers in the realm of political polarization. But even that subject uh, is somewhat um, uh, hard for people to see. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in other words, it, the, most okay. of the people who are interested in working on the problem of polarization are center-left folks, right? right? And, and those are not the folks who are really causing the polarization in, right. in, in, its, uh, in, in its main. And so the, 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 if we're going to combat climate change, as we've seen um, from the way that the Paris uh, recent Paris climate talks went and how those were derailed by the Supreme Court, you know, because of executive uh, perceptions of executive overreach. The American government clearly has a role to play, a leadership role to play. The rest of the world looks at us and says, well, if you can't make sacrifices to, to combat right. climate change, why should we, right? So there's no getting around the fact that the American government being stuck in this polarized paralysis is perhaps the biggest uh, barrier to um, addressing the issue of climate change more effectively than we are now, which then leads us to, okay, well, why is it polarized? How can we get out of it? We then, in um, 2015, as, as in terms of our, the evolution of our thinking and dealing with these problems and getting the experience of working on it, we found that the, the most effective approach was to try to evolve the right and evolve the left because trying to get them to meet in the middle a kind of a default centrist compromise was not viable. Right. Right. Centrism is a failed strategy. And the next paper that I'm working on will try to elaborate on that argument. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we could have a separate discussion about that. But but just bracket that assertion for the moment and say that certainly bipartisan compromise is good when you can get it. But under, but under the current conditions, um, we're not going to get the left and the right to reconcile or to cooperate. But we can start by getting the polarity within the right and the polarity within the left to function in a little bit more generative and cooperative way. And, and one of the key factors in making that happen is just showing the folks who are concerned about the dysfunction the, the insights of polarity theory, the, the truth of the way these values cohere in polar sets, yeah. right? That that truth itself I mean, is you're really extremely just powerful. The, the point of the arrow of new 
way of thinking about this. And so it's complex and hard to, um, you know, to kind of articulate uh, because nobody wants to read a giant book on the subject unless you're a very wonky, nerdy mm-hmm. person. Well, you are doing real practical stuff, though. I mean, you have had a couple conclaves and have one scheduled that where you're drawing big names and, you know, you get people who are real thought leaders to think in a different way. That is, um, you know, that's the point of evolution. Well, thanks. The idea is that the left and the right, if it's true that there is a permanent, indestructible existential polarity, right? That the that this left and right polarity, even though it evolves, even though what counts as left and right changes as society evolves, there's a lot of research that shows that that it, that there there is a kind of a genetic proclivity. People are born to have an affinity for the right or the left. Doesn't mean that they're determined, right? Circumstances can change. People who a person who is born with a proclivity to be conservative can still be a progressive and vice versa. I don't want to send a thesis of determinism, biological right. determinism. But nevertheless, th- th- there are proclivities. And and so th- the, the sort of the biological underpinnings of this larger polarity that we find almost always in democratic politics, uh, I mean, the politics of a democracy, yes. uh, is understanding the, the, the physics or the metaphysics mm-hmm. of that uh, is is a key to integral philosophy's contribution to a, a better understanding of culture and that, that's more an effective approach to political dysfunction, right, yeah. which we're facing now. So as an integral practitioner, how do I work with this uh, as, uh, you know, in my own politics and my own way of thinking about politics? Sure. Well, one is to, is to better identify um, the systems that are operating within the right and the left, right? Being, you know, that is everybody can see the polarity of left and right uh, on every evening's news broadcast, right? But, and, and the polarity between the, the left and right of the right, the fiscal conservatives and the social conservatives, is apparent to most modernists, right? But, but they don't really appreciate how these, um, how these value complexes, as I describe them and label them and carefully argue for them in the paper, how these value complexes are... Um, generative of identity, mm-hmm. right? That is, there's this kind of, um, uh, th- th- this pragmatic reduction to issues or this assumption that people are just acting as, as uh, you know, homo economicus. They're mm-hmm. just looking after their their financial <clears throat> interests and then there's no larger, well, you know, the current state of politics shows that um, deeper identity issues of values are roiling the system, right? Yeah. So seeing more clearly that, um, that the, the, the fiscal conservatives and the social conservatives, while there's overlap, while many people who are social conservatives uh, value small government, many people who are libertarians still have a sense of patriotism for the United States. But, but being able to understand that that's a system and that system itself can evolve, right? And that those values, uh, what I'm calling heritage, and then this on the, on the fiscal conservative side, I'm calling it the, the liberty value complex mm-hmm. right so th- th- and these are the two sets that are the the polarity within the right the polarity within the right i'm calling it the heritage value complex and the the liberty value mm-hmm. complex and so what integralists can do but by um one of the most active ways that we as integralists can affect politics is by claiming our own integral consciousness more deeply and more thoroughly right on. And, and that means learning how to expand and deepen the scope of what we're able to value, right? We're trying to evolve consciousness in this 
effort in the in the Institute of Cultural Evolution. What we found that trying to change people's values or replace people's values is also kind of a, a largely a failed strategy yeah. in most cases. So rather than getting people to to stop valuing the heritage of the United States or or you know this sense of wanting to be left alone, the kind of the liberty that the values that animate many libertarians and fiscal conservatives, is that we as integralists can see those values um, as values of our own. We can begin to value those values in a way that doesn't cause us to regress right. to a traditional worldview, right? So I have to like listen to Ted Cruz and take him seriously? Well, no. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I mean, we can see... Well, there is a practice in that. I mean, I... I sure. You know, and, and you realize that, you know, Ted Cruz's possible lack of sincerity aside, he is articulating the heritage... Um, value system pretty effectively. Well, and the, the liberty. He, he kind of, he, ha, he in a sense, uh, has an expression in his stance of both. Yes, right? it's it, true. His, his, his um, uh, attempt to try shut down the government, right, uh, as when, when he was a, a, a junior senator, um, that was an expression of the liberty value yeah. complex that hates the government. And um, for people who can't understand that, you know, Part of the practice is is practicing these values, right? If you can't yes. if you can't if you can't value uh, American patriotism, if you think that's just too jingoistic and, and, and repulsive, what about your family? Can you value them? Can you have a sense of them? That's kind of where that starts. And if if you can't understand libertarianism, well, what does it feel like when you when you go to the DMV and you're awash in the worst bureaucracy in the world and you just hate that bureaucracy or you know, if you're pulled over and you're worried about, you know, the war on drugs are going to confiscate your car, right? If they find, you know, a joint in your ashtray. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are values of, of, of this sort of sense of liberty that, that are openings for people who are not on the right to be able to kind of get make begin to make sense that those values are there Absolutely. and that if they're going to have integral consciousness, they can value those things. So let me just say, I'm not voting for Republicans. I'm, I'm certainly not on the right. I'm, I'm on the left. But as an integralist, I recognize that um, both sides, if we want the right to evolve, if we want to overcome the ugly specter of, of Republican politics as it currently exists, then helping the right to evolve is inevitably tied up with the left evolving. Yeah. And so seeing that there's a polarity of values on the left um, and, and being able to recognize both the dignities and the disasters that exist within that polar system is uh, an equal and opposite part of of being able to value and evolve the right. Yeah, so two questions I want to ask you. One is, you mentioned in your paper, or you make this point, that when a value is not seen or if it's if it's suppressed, mm -hmm. then it comes out in a shadow form. Right. And we're seeing that with the campaign of Donald Trump, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, that that, that is the the suppressed interests of Trump's constituency, right? They they were kind of the the libertarian or, or fiscal conservative side that sees government as being use, useless for everything, right? That uh, that the, the triumph of that within the Republican establishment suppressed uh, the legitimate needs of working class people who've been displaced by globalization yep. and who ha have been hurt by changing technologies. And uh, these people are a significant part of the Republican base, which are now coming back, but coming back because they've been suppressed in a very shadow way. Right? Mm -hmm. In other words, the, the, the oppressive authoritarianism and the jingoism of Trump is, is a way for – that is the downside of these values is how, is how they break out of their – when they're suppressed.
or they have to they have to bring back the negative side to kind of right. break the container because the container you know they lost the game so they're going to turn over the table right, right. so and that, also culturally with this their angry rejection of all things politically correct right you know so we can't those people are are part of us yes. i mean if if we ascribe to the spiritual proposition that we're all one right that we can't be hypocrites and say well we're all one when it comes to spirituality but these crazy right wingers ought to be sent to camps or something. You know? right. <laughs> so, so the the idea is that the best way to deal with the the negative expressions or the shadow side of these value complexes is to actually engage the positive sides better. And it's almost like parenting. You know, you want your kid to do something. You know, the more you emphasize the negative, the more that's going to just come to pass, right? And again, we're we're trying to talk about politics in an overarching way. We're trying to talk about a very complex subject in a short amount of time. So there has to be a degree of simplification. Um, but we're talking about a paper, a 24-page paper, which which elaborates on these themes with, yeah. with greater argumentation. And I'm hoping to um, further this effort to bring integral philosophy to bear on the problems of politics by getting at culture and values more uh, directly by using the integral lens, which allows us to do that, right? So. Well, let me just yeah, yeah, ask sure. you, so, but my, my other question is, um, so do you have uh, a polarity within the left? Absolutely. That yeah. you want to... Right. And so so first, I mean, the dialectical difference between the left is, is seen between modernism and postmodernism, right? I mean, that, that is going setting polarity theory aside for the moment and just going back to a spiral analysis, right? We can see that there is a, a version of modernity which is on the left, right? The establishment Democrats represented by, you know, Hillary Clinton and other kind of mainstream Democratic candidates. And and while that's still part of modernism, uh, it's, it's, you know, votes for Democrats. It's on the left, right? And then you have postmodernism, as we call it, or green or cultural creatives. And that worldview is dialectically separated from modernity, even though they still vote left if they vote. Um, and we can see the... Um, uh, the political fervor on that side being stimulated Bernie, by Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Sanders. Yeah, side, absolutely. Yeah. Although not all of Bernie Sanders' constituents are postmodernists, that's a significant portion of right. his base, right? So um, we can see up, up the, 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 the natural polarity between modernity and postmodernity, but there's also this kind of overlay of polarity theory that shows the, 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 the values that I call um, – the fairness and prosperity values that are the values of the mainstream Democratic Party. They still believe in the American dream, upward mobility, um, and and they still believe in, in, in free market capitalism. They just want to have some kind of a safety net, right? So it's still very kind of mainstream and establishment. And then you have what I call the, um, in the paper I describe as, as the liberation value complex. And this is more commensurate with the green values, right? In other words, it's not so much about economic upward mobility, Right or or it's it's not so much about unionism or the typical things we associated with old school democratic politics. Um, there the, the there's a new set of values right that is um, the the care for the environment is valued above above all else right, right. Um, the overcoming of oppression right the oppression as seen the oppression of sexism or racism or capitalism or you know any of the the things which are seen as victimizing people, right? The liberation value complex breaks with modernity and in a sense breaks with nationalism altogether, right? right. Nationalism no, is seen as something it, highly suspect. It's cringy. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so um, one of the things that an inter integral perspective looking at culture can see is that modernity is very practical, 
right? Within the liberal consensus, much of modernity's morality was supplied by the traditional worldview, even though it was moderated and, and right. you know, par- only partially taken. Uh, that was the, the the truce, right, between traditional and, and modernity. And then we had the emergence of green, which which kind of uh, broke that truce because modernity had a new enemy or a new dialectical <laughs> and so did traditionalism challenger, right? So and so we saw in the eighties how uh, the social conservative or, or Christian politics sort of uh, the, the traditional side kind of um, broke from modernity and had its own political constituency. And then over on the postmodern side, we can see how. This is now a new pole of values. You know, it's it's a new um, source of value identity, and so one of the things that I argue for in the paper and what you're talking about is this the postmodern, right, right, which is sexual liberation and right the liberation uh, value civil context, rights, right, and which all is of that. broken from modernity yeah. in, in a dialectical push away, and it's in a sense defines itself. Through anti-modernism, yeah. right? The, the environmental degradation creates the environmental values, right? The 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 remnants of oppression from the traditional worldview, sexism, racism, you know, those help define what the new values. The opposition are. to the corporate state and manufactured right, consent right. and all of that. Very important value achievements, right? And also a set of of negatives as well. But because the the um, the traditional worldview and the postmodern worldview are both kind of more sources of, of collective values and identity than modernity, which is more pragmatic and, and more transactional. You can see that each, the traditional and the postmodern, each have a, a create a kind of a field of loyalty identity, which can be very positive and can also be very negative. So on the traditional side, we have patriotism itself, right, which can be highly nationalistic, jingoistic, it created kind of us and them mentality that leads to nativism and all kinds of negativities. But, you know, patriotism has helped, is what has kind of, we've, we've come a long way through nationalistic patriotism. It's one of the ways we've overcome, um, you know, religious chauvinism, right? So that modernity was able to take a, um, a religious identity and expand it to include an, a national identity that could accommodate a variety of religions, right? So, so patriotic yeah. nationalism in America over its 200 and, you know, whatever odd year history, people have laid down their lives for their country. People have been willing to sacrifice for the greater good because they loved America, right? Right. So that, that form of patriotism, again, it, can, it has a, a huge upside, but it also has a dangerous downside. Well, now that we can begin to see green emerging in history and, and taking the stage, even though it's still only 20% of the American population, green has its own kind of patriotism, but it, it, it's maybe best identified as a kind of reverse patriotism, right? In other words, it, there's a consistently uh, suspiciously dim view of both capitalism and the American nation. Some of the um, stronger leftist voices often, uh, some times explicitly, sometimes implicitly. But the message is, is that we should uh, view um, the, uh, the American government and its history as something akin to a criminal enterprise. And we should see capitalism as a, a, a scary and destructive force that needs to be replaced before it exploits every worker on the planet and destroys the environment, yeah. right? right? So o- Oppressive Right. So there's a clear room for dissent, and this, this, this niche within the cultural ecosystem has now been filled out by postmodernity um, in ways that have been important. Right? I'd say that postmodernity has achieved many important things, again, as I, I talk about in the paper, um, 
But reverse patriotism is just as subject to kind of one-sided us-and-them mentality as old-fashioned nationalistic patriotism, right? It can be dangerous because it can um, pull out the rug, you know, or pull, throw down the ladder or, you know, pour acid on everything that came before, right? It, it, going back to this idea that in order to, to uh, effectively improve something, you have to have some kind of solidarity or sympathy with it, right? That's why within the right, the, the left can no longer at this time in history impact the right. They don't really care. If they say something, they want to do the opposite, right? Yeah. But if we engage this polarity within the right, then you can see that the, the, the fiscal conservatives and the social conservatives do have a degree of listening to each other because they are in this kind of coalition, even though they sometimes break apart, right? Yeah. Well, we can begin to understand that um, that in order to improve modernity, in order to make America more moral, in order to make our economic system more conscious, you know, in order to make it less exploitive and more inclusive, in order to improve our society, if, if we think it's a criminal enterprise, our ability to improve it, you know, that postmodernism's ability to moderate and improve and encourage the evolution of modernity, right, in order to get those postmodern values to be um, uh, valued by a larger portion of the population than currently values them, um, that's going to require a degree of sympathy. And so part of the integral project involves moving from the antithesis to the synthesis. You know, and again, we're talking about this in simplistic terms. When it comes to dialectical development, there's both meaning and mystery. So I don't want to make a straw man out of it, but I, I argue that truth is scalable, right? So this idea of this dialectical development, you know, can be talked about in simplistic terms, uh, even if we understand that there's much greater you know, complexity underlying it, right? So, so I, I don't think we, we get much argument with the idea that postmodernity made its advance in history. The, the, the green worldview pushed off against modernity. Its opportunity to evolve beyond the status quo was, was the, the way was made open by what was wrong with modernity, right? So it's defined itself in opposition to modernity and it's made evolutionary progress by staking out this position of antithesis, right? But we also see the limitations of the postmodern worldview because of that very antithetical yeah. relationship. We see it in global warming, right? That, that is, the, the, the fight for climate change is resisted by so many on the right, and even those who were um, who were modernists but who were still on the left, right? They still are kind of a little worried about the stridency of many environmental activists. Yeah. So that they don't who really pray for the end of civilization, right? Right. The bumper way. stickers around Boulder visualize industrial collapse. Yes. Right. We have to laugh. <laughs> it's a joke. But of course, if there was industrial collapse, it would make you know it would, it would be a huge disaster for humanity, yeah, right? Exactly. So, so we we don't like modernity. We don't like many of the things about it, and and we're most worried about its environmental destruction, yeah. right? But. Um, we have a democracy, so we have to persuade people. We have to evolve their consciousness. We can't just uh, make an end run. I mean, that's kind of what the Supreme Court said: is that, no, Obama, you can't make an end run by enacting all these um, uh, these environmental regulations that you agreed to in Paris because you need Congress's uh, approval. And of course, Congress isn't going to approve. So, I mean, it, that's bad for climate change. I mean, I wish the Supreme Court had ruled otherwise. But you can also see how there's a conflict between democracy and climate change. And uh, yes. uh, climate change is a real problem, but yes. it would be a shame if we had to eliminate democracy. Well, when the majority of the people don't particularly care about it, that's a problem. Right, right. It's a, a, problem. a large majority. Right, right. And part of the reason, as I argue, is this this sense of, of fear of reverse patriotism, right? People, they may not understand it intellectually or analytically, yeah. but they can feel the threat to their identities that goes with many of the prominent voices within 
postmodern politics, right? Who, who again, there's a place for dissent. They're not all wrong. I'm not saying that that they have no legitimate points. People like you know Noam Chomsky, right, for right. example. But um, that reverse patriotism is something which Integral can deal with in the same way that as a modernity emerged, right, in America during uh, the, the American Revolution and the founding of America, the, the, the intensely jingoistic patriotism was was gradually carried carried forward and modified in a way. Part of the, the us and them mentality was negated so that there could be this sort of global cooperation, right? Again, all of this is imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. But in the same way that... Um, that the very powerful force of patriotism was harnessed and moderated, we can we can see that one of the the tasks of the emergence of an integral political perspective or an integral political stance is working with this reverse patriotism of postmodernity in a way that doesn't completely invalidate it. Right? Can see that it's a powerful identity generator for many people who who, who have invested their Absolutely. identity in this anti and, and a huge piece of the truth. Right. So we want to carry forward part of it. While also, you know, holding back some of the the negative, dangerous parts, yes. and and that goes back to Hegel's description of how the movement of the dialectic occurs. Right? Hegel didn't talk about thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Uh, Hegel's dialectic involves an affirmation, and then a negation, and then a negation of the negation. Right? Hmm. A partial negation of the original negation. Right? So what what, what this means is. Postmodernity negates modernity in, in the traditional worldview, right? There's, a, there's an important antithesis, right? So we want to, we have an opportunity to move from that antithesis to the synthesis. In other words, the synthesis is defined and pointed to, and and the opportunity, that that new place that that that's emerging in this 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 opportunity for an integral political perspective and an integral political discourse, that's being defined by the limitations or the the, the extent to which the original negation. The antithesis of postmodernism has gone as far as it can go, right? We now can move to the negation of the negation, and that involves understanding the role that reverse patriotism plays in creating political will within, um, you know, the left side and especially the postmodern side. Right. So again, we, the negation of the negation doesn't involve a complete elimination of the original negation. Just enough of it is moderated so that we can then reclaim what got left behind. So we can reclaim the good parts of modernity. We can reclaim the good yes. parts of traditionalism. And and that process of expanding the scope of what we're able to value involves not just seeing the values as um, you know inert propositions or, or slogans, but seeing them in their dynamic context where they're, they're in this polar relationship, mm-hmm. you know, where we have the heritage value complex and the liberty value complex on the right. We have the fairness and prosperity uh, complex of, of democratic modernity and then the liberation value complex and seeing how they're all, they all have very important values that we need uh, and they all have conflicts between themselves, both within the spectrum and across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's um, a hopeless mess. I mean, there right. is some structure of the dialectic fractal. No, I'm just sitting here thinking yeah. it's, uh, what you, what you paint here is a, a hopeful vision. Right. Right. We want to make America more moral, both internally in terms of taking care of people and, and internationally in terms of its role in the world. We want to make capitalism more conscious. I think it's magical thinking to assume that we're going to just replace capitalism with another system. Again, if that were possible, it, it might well, provide it a— It will evolve. Yeah. I mean, at some point, I think we'll have something that, that is, is much more um, inclusive and friendly. And, and I mean, in other words, the dog-eat-dog, dog, the negatives of capitalism, Absolutely. The, the, the exploitation that goes with it. I think we'll eventually evolve beyond all of that. But if we're going to evolve and not revolve, right? In other words, evolution 
look at well, Bob- we want to keep the juice and we want to keep the you know anybody can make money and you know that we have our uh, free path in front of us and all of the stuff that comes with um, capitalism that is good right well that's where we can re- we can go back to touching base on this liberty value complex right liberty you know basic freedom I would argue there's no real freedom without some degree of economic freedom. You know, if you can't go and start a business or do your own thing, you know, in, in economically, if the state's going to tell you what job you're going to have, then that's obviously um, right. not freedom. We don't want that. Yeah, yeah. And so this 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 holding out for the value of liberty and, and recognizing that there is a spontaneous order that emerges when people pursue their own interests, again, I'm not talking about the invisible hand job. <laughs> I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, this basic value of liberty, which which we're going to need, which needs to be carried forward right. as a check against authoritarianism, right? As a check against, the, you know, the, the the creeping other side. But again, it's not, it, it, there's challenge and support. Mm-hmm. And in order to appropriately challenge, you have to support. In order to support, you have to challenge when you're dealing with these currents of value creation, which is this, you know, this polar uh, 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 bedrock or landscape right. of values that we're beginning to understand that are kind of the the, the circulatory systems of culture and identity. Mm-hmm. So we want to make, we, we want to build, we want to evolve. And and like all evolution, it it takes up the accomplishments of the previous level, right? The, the, the many become one and are increased by one, as Whitehead put it, right? And so we want to, we want to include the accomplishments of the past. We want to include the heritage, the, the good parts of the heritage value complex and have a degree of patriotism, you know, for our family and for our country, right? We want to include the liberty value complex and realize that there is a sort of sovereignty that each person ought to be afforded, right? We want to include the fairness and prosperity value complex and realize that many people, especially now, are being left out yeah. economically and fairness requires that prosperity be shared, Right. And, and, and likewise, we want to we, we don't want to be satisfied with our national scene, no matter how uh, improved we can make it. There's there's a direction of liberation. Right. As uh, Charles Eisenstein titles it, you know, the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. Yes. Right. That's a very important role that not only postmodernism, but post postmodern integral. I mean, that yes. we, we, we want to envision a, more, a better world, but that involves an evolution and that involves carrying forward the best of what's come before in, in a transcendent but inclusive new whole. Well, that's a beautiful description of uh, integral political thinking. It's really holding and valuing all four of those. Right. Yeah, and right. more. Right. And it's not just a checklist of values. The values animate each other. It's not just the values themselves, but it's their relationship. Yes. The relationship's value itself, the polarity system, yes. is part of the value. Yes. It's recursive. Well, it goes and back I, and I forth. find, as an integral practitioner, I'm not satisfied with anything less. I mean, I want it all, and I want the, the conflict even within my own mind right. and body, right. I mean, actually. Right. So, but part of the trick of being able to more, to more to bring this, this liberty value complex and this heritage value, bring all four of these basic value um, nodes into our consciousness more fully, right? That is, as, as we become more evolved and the world becomes more evolved, as we expand the scope of what we're able to value. Yeah. So these are the values that humanity, or at least Americans, value integralists can come to metabolize the values of every one of those major um, complexes more thoroughly by having a better understanding of the difference between the positive nature of those values and the shadow side, right? How the shadow side is, is, is inevitable and it sort of goes with it because of the nature of our developmental trajectory. 
but being able to tease apart the dignities from the disasters, right? Being able to see, okay, well, the liberty value complex has all these important values for people who, who want to be free. But it's also got social Darwinism. It's also got, you know, exploitation. It's also Eugenics. got the, yeah, yeah, all kinds of really <laughs> negative stuff there too. But being seeing these 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 the fact that we have people that we love and everybody that we love has a shadow. And part of knowing them psychologically and appreciating them fully is being able to see, okay, they've got a shadow side and that's not who they are completely, but it's something that I need to work with and be aware of the shadow of my spouse or the shadow of my best friend or whatever. And so thinking about these value complexes and seeing that those shadows are there, but the best way to suppress those shadows without getting them to come back in a worse way, in other words, the best um, the, the, the best way we can uh, uh, keep the negative elements of the liberty value complex at bay is for the positive values of the heritage value complex, right? That we're all in together, right? Yeah. The best way to keep the, the negative side of the liberation value complex over in postmodernism is the fairness and prosperity. This is basic polarity theory yes. as it's practiced by oh. organizational development consultants, well, just, just, right? The, 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 when you have a polarity, the upside of one checks the downside of yeah. the other. That's this challenge and support function that's part of the systemic relationship that makes these polarities dynamic generators of value. Wow. Well, that is a beautiful system and a beautiful way of thinking about it and also practicing integral political practice, right. if you will. Right. Value metabolism is an important part of being a political activist in an integral context. Right on. Yeah. So if people want to know more, of course, they can read the paper. And again, it is called Overcoming Polarization by Evolving Both Right and Left. And I would say you deliver on that promise. Thanks, thanks. And uh, where can people find it? CulturalEvolution.org, the, the URL of the Institute for Cultural Evolution. Cool. Um, it's also on SteveMcIntosh.com, my author site. But the, the headquarters for the work of this integral politics that me and my colleagues are engaged in is found at CulturalEvolution.org. And I would invite people to um, not just uh, surf over there, but perhaps even sign up for our email list because there's lots of exciting things going on and we want you to be aware of those. And we have... Um, tests. There's a worldview test that you can take, a political polarization test. So there's little kind of gimmicky activities, yeah. but there's also some meaty um, uh, political analysis, which uh, uh, we've tried to make relevant to our time. Um, uh, so in other words, I've revised the paper to try to account for Trump uh, and the rise <laughs> of Trump without you know, making it all about him. I mean, that's right. kind of what he wants. He wants all the media <laughs> to be about him. Um, but it's it, it, it's an interesting factor because it it um, it it's creating this historically significant meltdown on the right, which is probably a very healthy thing because something out of the ashes will be born, and it gives us an opportunity to envision what a more evolved right would look like. Yes. Because now more than ever, we have a chance to help the right evolved and, and and we're encouraged to do this when we understand that the that the right there's a, there'll always be some version of the right right yeah. even if we crush we can't make them go away the current right <laughs> we want a more evolved version of the right and um, we can't so just win them all over ultimately if you're concerned about climate change uh that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of overcoming the barriers that are preventing us from addressing that appropriately right on all right well again overcoming polarization by evolving both right and left uh, thank you so much for being with us thank today. Thank you, Jeff, for your interest and for our dialogue here. It's been a pleasure. All right, Steve. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.